taking stock of what went right and what went wrong just two months into the season. We'll do that tonight, evaluate the strategies, and amend them going forward. We'll also have our regular waiver wire, pitcher preview, and injury updates for you. Stick around, because Beat the Shift is next. And welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and once again, Ruven Guy, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Still a little bit hoarse. I tell you, this this, pitch, this uh, pitching and this uh, softball and the coaching and little league that just, I don't know, takes a toll. Just a lot. I played, uh, I pitched four games in the span of three days this weekend. Big, long Memorial Day weekend. Uh, got a couple wins out of it, but uh, pretty tiring. Otherwise, how are you? Well, I'm not as tired as you are. I only play second base when I play softball, so not that bad. And I am the coach of my son's team also, so I do get some yelling in also. I really feel bad for the umpires, though. Yeah. Our last uh, last game that we had for our, my kid, uh, championship game one, they won something like 18-2. to two. Uh, They absolutely dismantled the other team. My, my son is one of the pitchers that pitches, and he'll be going in game two this weekend. So... Uh, we want to welcome a uh, guest, been on our show before, from Fantasy Endgame on YouTube, Pierre Camus. How are you, Pierre? Doing very well. How are you doing? Doing pretty good, and welcome to June. We are in month number three of the baseball season. can't believe it. It's going by so far. And, you know, after two months, I think it's appropriate to take stock, to take stock of where we are, to take stock of some wins and losses. And so we're going to do that on this show today, and we jump right into it. And, you know, first of all, Pierre, um, I, I know my date. My date is always June 5th. Uh, my dad's birthday is June 5th, and that's the day that I think that the standings really converge and have, have a very good representation of what the final standings could be. Obviously, things can happen in the final four months, but the correlation between now and the end of the season has an R squared of, I think, north of 50%. So we, we are correlated, and it is converging. So when do you take stock of when the standings become real? Well, funny enough, I feel like next week uh, kicks it off for me, uh, partly because, as you know, I'm I'm an educator, and it's my summer vacation, and I'm ready to dive you know, 100% into baseball in the next couple of months. I get to really sit and actually watch some games uh, and pick apart the data. So that aside, I do, you know, completely agree with you. As you know, uh, I look at your ATC projections before. I, I put a lot of weight into that because I know how they're formulated. You know, having worked together and, and reading all your amazing articles, I know, you know, kind of the data behind it. I'm not a data guy in the sense that I can't run those numbers and crunch them myself, but I can extrapolate some meaning from them. So I do know that there's a lot of significant uh statistical thresholds that you know they just take time right you know you can't take a lot out of certain stats until we have enough at bats until we have enough innings pitched you know batters faced you know a lot of it's just noise from a short sample size so now that we're you know i guess about around this point in the season and different stats of course have different thresholds 
But now I feel like we can make something of what this season is telling us, not just what this guy do for a first couple of weeks or so. Uh, so, and also I feel like we've just gotten through the mad rush of all these early season prospect call-ups, right? All these guys, you know, okay, who's for real, who's not, who's going to stick. And now we're kind of seeing these lineups kind of get settled. Uh, and so I do agree. I think this is kind of a good time to take stock of where's my team at. So Ruven, in addition to that, what are you trying to do now in terms of adjusting strategies? What are you looking at in your league components to see what you need to change at this point? Well, first of all, I look at where I am in the standing, see if, you, if I even have a chance, whether I need to make wholesale changes or just minuscule mini changes to get me over the hump, to get me into the, into the money. Um, and you look at the categories. I think the best categories to look at are the categories, first of all, to start with, are the ones that you're ahead in. Those categories, you have to make sure that you keep that lead so you don't lose those points that you already have. So take stock. Do I need another guy on the waiver wire to fill in for a guy who's injured because I'm going to lose stolen bases because let's say I have Cedric Mullins and a bunch of leagues or something like that. Um, then you look at the categories that you're very far behind in. And those categories are very far behind in. It's already two months. It's a lot of, pretty hard to make up a lot of space, especially in counting categories, when you're, it's, when you're substantially far away. If, if, you're, if you need to get, let's say, 10 stolen bases to gain two points, you know, stolen bases may not be the category for you to go for. But then you look at the third uh, category, and the cat those are the categories that are still bunched together. Because the categories for the first couple of months, especially for most teams in, our, in the leagues that I'm in, they're always bunched together, and there's a lot of movement in the standings for the first couple of months. At this point, there isn't that much movement. So you're able to see where you can gain points and where you can lose points. And that's what I think the idea of what you got to do. You got to find the areas where you can gain points by not making that many moves. Yeah, and I'll add to it that, you know, obviously the specific categories matter and you need to be taking a deep dive at this point if you haven't already. But I think that the overall level of risk you need to take has to adjust now. So if you are playing from behind, right, you you can't just get the standard expected value of stats. You need something more. You need upside, right? And if you're playing from ahead, if you're in uh, if you're on top, think you need the base of production not that you don't need upside of players but you need to bank a certain amount each week to roll with it you know uh, just to compare uh, a, a little bit of analogy as to uh, you know playing softball last night we're winning 5-1 going to the final inning and you know sometimes in the outfield we play four players across in softball we have 10 players 10 fielders that is uh, sometimes you play three in a short center um but what we did was we played five infielders, essentially. And we're basically saying, all right, if the first batter gets on, you know, it really doesn't matter if it's a single, double, or triple, right? He gets on. Um, obviously, you want a single instead of a double. You want a fourth play at second to set you up. But, you know, we're just looking to get out here. So w when you have batters and there's, you know, they're the most of the night they're just grounding out. I get a lot of balls on the ground. Let's just play five infielders, have a higher percentage chance to get an out. We might give up a double in the outfield. Like if it's if it's a hit into the outfield, instead of a single, it can turn into a double. But we don't care, right, because we're playing from ahead. So no, what I'm saying is knowing from, from the fact that we were ahead, we went for a different approach of five infielders to make it safer. And I think the same thing is true about your fantasy team. And now is a good time to take stock of what to do. Like if you're, if you're trading – I would want to trade for more upside. Get a player who maybe is underperforming, who 
you know, before the season was rated highly, try it. You never know. You need to get something more. You can't just play from ahead and, and bank stats. You need to bank on all the upside, take on risk. And so now is the time to decide what to do. Agree, Pierre? Absolutely agree. Um, you know, uh, talking about risk does definitely make sense here. But like one thing that I try to do, and I know we'll get into uh, as far as what's worked and what hasn't worked so far this season, I think try to really capture because we, you know, we see it, it's, it's a long season, right? Like it's a marathon, not a spring. We look at this baseball is a long season. But really, when you think about it, it's a series of of you know i guess you can think of it you know like we, we play divided by weeks but it's really it's like a bunch of mini seasons all together because we have a lot of guys who are hot one month and they're cold the next you know ups and downs and highs and lows you have to really try to take advantage of it and see it before it comes which easier said than done right but it's whatever that final stat line is for any of these guys at the end of the season I guarantee they weren't performing at that level the entire season. At some point, you know, you have a pitcher whose ERA is under two. He's looking like he's going to be an all-star breakout. And then a couple of bad outings, and all of a sudden, you know, it doubles. And so you really have to try to kind of zoom in on a little more micro level and see what's going on and take a snapshot of this particular moment. How can you take advantage of that in the trade market, on the waiver wire, etc.? So I want to talk a little bit about some of the wins and losses that we've had this year. And what I mean by that is not just victory laps. See, I told you about this guy. Obviously, oh, I, I was on him. Like, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in more of the strategy or what you have prepared before the season, what you went with, and what has worked and what hasn't. We could talk about specific players. Obviously, that's included. But uh, just open it up to you, uh, and maybe we'll go around the room and talk about it, because I think it's applicable as we want to change strategies for this year. It's also applicable for next year. You know, you're going to forget um, early on in the season what, what, you're, what, you're, uh, what, you, what went right and what went wrong in May, right? Uh, you know, uh, talking with uh, Jeff Zimmerman, he always talks about taking a log. Like, write down every week or every month, you know, hey, what waiver wire pickup went well? What did I do that I didn't like? And you could read it at the end of the season or in the off season. So I think it's good to take stock right now uh, of what did work and what didn't work. I think two months is a good sample. So starting with you, Pierre, what is something, a player or a strategy that you had going to the season that worked and we'll call it a win for you so far? All right, so uh, this will come out sounding kind of like a, a brag, but I guarantee you, quickly, you'll hear how it turned from a win into a loss. Okay, so one thing I know I, I did particularly well during draft season and the start of the season was identifying those guys who did get off to hot starts and kind of those, you know, sleepers, guys who just needed opportunity, and I kind of foresaw that they would have the chance or the path was there to have that everyday job and that they would actually turn that into production. So I'm talking about guys like James Outman, uh, Bryson Stott, who was red hot to start the year, um, like Jonah Heim, especially in a two-catcher league. So these are all guys I have on my TGFBI team. Of course, you're familiar with that, uh, the Great Fancy Baseball Invitational. So this is why up until last week, I was in first place in my TGFBI league. Uh, over the first two months, because I had these guys who were red hot. I had them, and this is a 15-team league. This is a you know league just with analysts and experts 
it's hard to to get that third, fourth, fifth outfielder to be a stud. So I, I had a lot of these guys on the same team. Um, like, uh, and then even on the waiver wire, I think I did pretty well the first couple of weeks. I got like Jaron Duran, and he was hot for a while. Um, guys like that. And now, well, James Altman is is not the same James Altman anymore. Bryson Stott has come back to earth a little bit. Duran looks like he might be droppable. And so now, just in the past week, I've gone from first place to fourth place. And I'm pretty much struggling here because I got outbid on some of my waiver wire um, you know, pickups. So with a couple of injuries in the mix now, I'm just struggling to fill roster spots. So what was good is that I, I got these guys who were hot earlier in the season. You know, you can't trade in that league, so I can't say that that's a fail. Like I didn't take advantage of the sell high window, but and I couldn't make up for it on the waiver wire because it's just so hard to find value in the waiver wire in that league. Do you have a do you have a lesson to be learned from from that? Because obviously you were right for the first month, and it was like a partial win because it wasn't it failed in the second month. Yeah, I I think maybe uh, don't be too conservative with your fab early in the season, and you know I try not to spend up too much, especially the first month, and I don't regret that. But these last couple of weeks, getting some guys that are proving to be pretty valuable or at least are giving production as opposed to some guys I have in lineups now who aren't giving production. Uh, you know, don't be afraid to make those kind of moves now that we're approaching June. And before we ask Ruvain, it's time for the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Well, I'm going to base this trivia on my win for this season so far, what I'll call a win so far, and it has to do with starting pitching. Earlier in the year, we were discussing, and during draft season, we were discussing about not really paying for the top starting pitcher. We were not going over, about over a certain amount of draft capital to get a starting pitcher. So I went back and looked at the top 25 ADP of starting pitchers from this year during draft season, and I took the top pitchers going all the way up to pick 100 overall. So the, there are 25 ADP top pitchers in the top 100 picks. Of those, nine of them have are currently in the top 100 in a player value for five by five. I wanted to go back and forth and let's see if both of you can name the nine pitchers that were in the top 25 ADP for starting pitchers this year and are still in the top 100 player value in a five by five. Wow. All right. Put it to the test. Um, I'll go with, I'll go with Otani. Otani's there hundred percent. Yes. That's one of them. I'll go with Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole. Yes, that's correct. Next. Uh, Strider. Spencer Strider's got to be there. Spencer Strider's there. Correct. Zach Gallen. Zach Gallen is there. He was actually the 25th or 20th. Uh, I'm sorry, the 23rd ranked SP in draft season. Um, I'm guess yeah, Kevin Gaussman, he must have been. Top 100. Kevin right? Gaussman's on the list also. Very good. So far, no strikes against either of you. Ariel? Shane you. McClanahan. Shane McClanahan's there. You're knocking them out. Okay. <laughs> you got a total of two, three more. Uh, I'm going to go Shane Bieber. No. He is not in the top 100 in five by no. five right now. Framber Valdez. Framber Valdez is another one. Yes. There are two left. Now it's getting harder. Now it's going to be harder. Yes, there are two left. Um, well, I, I know Cini Alcantara is not up there. Uh, <laughs> let's go with uh, Luis Castillo. 
Luis Castillo yeah. is there. Wow, you guys are knocking it out, knocking this out of the park. Maybe this trivia question is too easy. I was about to say that. I'll go with uh, I'll go with, uh, Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler is not there. That's no. strike one. There's only one pitcher left on this list. Hmm. Top 100 ADP. Uh, and currently in the top not, 100 value-wise, mm, five by five. Not any of the Mets. No. That. Can I guess uh, Logan Webb? Logan Webb is not on the list. That's strike two. Did we say Garrett Cole already? You yeah. said Garrett Cole. Pierre, you still have all three of your strikes. So. Is, is, uh, is, is, is Logan Webb not there because of ADP or because That's of That's correct. He, he, wasn't in, he wasn't in the top 100 ADP okay. to begin with. Okay. Just missed it. I'll give you guys a hint. American League West. Christian Javier. Yes. Okay. That's correct. So Fair. of those play, that's nine out of the top 25 or 26 pitchers who were in the overall top 100 ADP are currently returning that value, which means that there are 15 or 16 of them, which include Corbin Burns, Al- the aforementioned Alcantara, DeGrom, Nola, Woodruff, Verlander, Scherzer, Cease, Bieber, Wheeler, Urias, Rodon, Manoa, Freed, Darvish, Manoa. Musgrove. All those other pitchers were in the top 100 and have not returned the value. So the big win that I'm talking about is not spending so much on starting pitching and going for the mid-level values instead of the top guys because it's one out of two chance that these guys are going to hit. And not only that, of these top guys, six of them are not on the list because of injury. So you didn't even, some of these guys, you didn't even have a chance because they, 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 didn't ha- they haven't played enough. And if you fall behind in a lot of these categories, like say, let's say you picked up Verlander and Scherzer because you wanted a lot of strikeouts. You just haven't gotten enough pitching out of them to get the strikeouts from them. So you're falling behind in counting categories, and you have it's very hard to make those stats up. So the big win I'm going to say is that not spending so much on starting pitching during draft season because the value just wasn't there. Well, I mean, you're still getting you're still getting value at a pretty decent percentage of the top, but as compared to the hitters in the top in terms of similar value. That's true. I mean, the, the hitters exactly. Are, uh, you're you're yeah. not you're not getting the top 100 value that you should be getting out of that spot where how many, whether you pick them there or whether you uh, uh, you spend the money on them. Yeah, you do need to get aggregate value though of pitching. I think the aggregate value of pitching that you needed was higher, but you didn't necessarily need to get an ace. You could have you know gotten some volume by going a little bit, little bit lower. I guess that that's exactly right that's why if you don't spend that top money you can spend that money on hitting and you can be doing well in the hitting spots and you can always patch up the the uh pitching which is what i've done in a lot of my leagues i just pick, i drafted like three or four relievers and which i never usually do not non-closer relievers but just high quality relievers to have in my team in case i didn't love a start or in case one of my starters got hurt i just plugged them in and they helped my era and whip yeah so so i'll throw a couple of uh, uh things out in terms of wins um, you know, some players, some not. Uh, Freddie Freeman. Um, I, you know, I know this sounds pretty obvious of, well, obviously we know Freddie Freeman is good, but if you remember, we, I, I mentioned quite a bit in the offseason, even from the first offseason podcast when we were down in Arizona, that there is a case to be made that Freddie Freeman should be a top five pick, right? I mean, there, there's nobody that is as low a risk Injury aside, because anybody can succumb to the injury, and Freeman is not an overly injured person. But in terms of returning that first-round value, Freddie Freeman is just so low risk. And as it goes, 
it's not about winning your draft in the first round. It's about losing it. And when you're picking Freddie Freeman, you're getting your value. He's currently the number two player on the on the player radar. He's almost a $45 player. The only one higher is Ronald Acuna, who is killing it. He's about a $50 player. I mean, look at Freeman's May. Six homers, four stolen bases, 26 RBI, 28 runs, four stolen bases. Freeman is batting 400 in the month of May. Um, where is the risk for him? There isn't. Categorically, he's spread out. He's got a high floor, and he's got high upside. I mean, we've seen him be an MVP before. And and I know that we said that Trey Turner had been returning value, but Trey Turner is not categorically categorically spread just as well as Freeman, right? He's got the stolen base component. But the risk levels were so low and, you know, I was saying, listen, if you if you've got an eleventh pick, twelfth pick, tenth pick, whatever, just pick Freddie Freeman. Don't think about it. You're gonna bank that much stats. I don't care that he's a first baseman. You're banking the stats and you're getting every single category. So I think that strategy of going for that very low risk in the first round paid off. Thoughts? Yeah. How about Freddie Freeman? Uh, not just the power, but more stolen bases than Trey Turner or Kyle Tucker, for that matter. I mean, I don't know if we could have predicted that, but yeah, I, Trey Turner was probably unanimous number one or two pick in, in every draft. So, But it's funny because people say, well, what's the downside there? But there is when a guy just depends on his speed a little bit more, a guy switching teams, going you know with a big contract. I mean, there's there's some variables at play. There. Yeah. If your team, if you're picking Trey Turner, and Trey Turner doesn't have a good season, then you have an outsized loss in stolen bases, only because you were relying on that as part of your equation. With Freddie Freeman, there really isn't any one category. Maybe batting average, because you know, you're expecting 300 batting average. But otherwise, you're not expecting a whopping contribution in stolen bases. You're actually not expecting a whopping contribution in homers, right? You're just getting a lot of production spread around. It doesn't hurt you as categorically as the replacement of Trey Turner. So very, very, very important there. And a lot of people, a lot of people were low on him preseason because Trey Turner left. They said the lineup is not as good, and I think he may have even had a minor injury during spring training. So people were pretty low on him at the time. Also, any other uh, wins that you had, Pierre? No, I think, and you mentioned uh, kind of related to that, you know, people putting a lot of emphasis into a player like Turner because you know it's going to help me with steals. Steals are such a rare commodity. Of course, not as much this year, but I think finally moving toward the mindset of winning categories with players that can help you do that, such as moving guys like uh, Pete Alonzo into like first round ADP because he can help you almost single-handedly win home runs. And you see what he's doing so far. Uh, you know, Aaron Judge is the obvious uh, case there, but you know, guys that we might push down lower, well, he's not going to get you any steals. His batting average won't be elite, but you can be happy with your home run total and then worry about the other stats later, you know what I mean? And kind of prioritizing guys who have that potential to carry your team. Um, you know, so I, I think, I guess I'll call it a win. I don't have as much Alonzo as I'd like. And uh, I also try to avoid guys who are just kind of good at several categories, but not necessarily going to have as much upside uh, in others. Uh, that aside... Um, no, I mean, I'm I'm waiting to see if some of the players that I identified as potential wins pan out. I don't, I'm not going to take any victory laps just yet. So, so um, I'll throw out I'll throw out this, and we always talk about before the preseason that you know if ATC says that a player is a big bargain, 
there is a very high probability that he will be a bargain, right? Uh, the top three players in terms of uh, dollar projected dollar value to ADP dollars, Yandy Diaz, Josh Naylor, Luis Arias, all were projected to be about an $8 bargain in a 15-team league. Look at the value that the, they've returned. Diaz has returned $26 so far. That's on a $1 bid. Josh Naylor, also another dollar, $14. Luis Arias has returned $11. I mean, you can get him for two or three at the end of drafts because people say, oh, he's just a batting average guy. But when the value of ATC says, oh, my goodness, you're getting an $8 bargain, there you go. It, it just shows you that projections can be relied upon, especially when you have an aggregator like ATC say, listen, all the projections are saying this guy is an $8 bargain. The market is clearly wrong. Like when you have such an indicator – it's it's right. Now, it's not right every single time. There's going to be injuries, too. But instead of being right 60% of the time, it might be right 80% of the time. Like, it's, it's a great indicator, and it's just proof, and so that's another win this year. Ruben, anything to add? Yeah, I also preached preseason not to chase stolen bases. And I said you can always get them at the bottom. There's no reason why you can't get them at the bottom. You don't have to pay so much up top. And if you look at the leaders of stolen bases right now, Esther Ruiz wasn't really that ranked that high, and he's leading the majors in stolen bases. Taylor Walls, you could have got him off of the waiver right. He has 15 stolen bases. Juwan Bay has 15 stolen bases. Jorge Mateo was like the 25th shortstop taken. He has stolen bases. Whit Merrifield, he's having a bounce-back stolen base season, even at age 34, I believe. He's having a bounce-back uh, year for stolen bases. So all these guys lower down, you didn't really have to pay. Yes, you could have gotten the Bobby Witt early on. Um, he does have 17 stolen bases, yes, and he's, he is playing pretty well. Corbin Carroll also, he's got a bunch of stolen bases, but it just shows that you didn't have to necessarily pay up for stolen bases in the first two rounds. You could have waited until mid mid teens or even even in the mid twenties to get a stolen base guy. Excellent point. Um, I'll also throw in personally. I talked about George Kirby before the season, and I said, listen, when you got a, a guy with such a low walk rate, and it looks real, um, this is such a high floor because you're, that whip is going to stay low. And take a look; he has only thrown six walks this year. In 71 innings, that's incredible. Last year's K, uh, sorry, last year's walk rate was four percent, which was absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> His walk rate this year, two percent, one in fifty. He's walking one in fifty batters. That is incredible control. He's currently a top twenty starting pitcher. Uh, that is somebody who had, that floor plays out, and so that's another win that I had in terms of the, the profile. Um, all right, let's let's go on to, to losses. Start with you, Pierre. What is a loss or two that you had, either in terms of player or strategy for this year? Yeah, I think something that I actually intended to do, just haven't executed quite as much because sometimes life is getting in the way of my, my fantasy strategy, but uh, just being more active on the trade market and kind of like I mentioned earlier, taking advantage of those sell windows when you see a guy peaking a guy who's you know having a really hot two three weeks and it's early in the season and you know maybe the jury's still out on him but a lot of people are either willing to buy in or you know they, they get carried away or they're you know maybe they're disgruntled with somebody they got they need to fill us a, a need on their rush or whatever just taking advantage of that and so some of the players I mentioned, like like a James Altman, seeing that this was a time to sell him and maybe not just executing on that. 
when I could have been capitalizing on those trade windows. So, you know, it's hard because I'm going to spend the time making the videos and giving the advice and telling people this is who you should buy and this is who you should sell. And then I'm not always doing it myself, but not out of uh, a lack of belief or anything like that. It's just uh, kind of a time management thing, probably once again in way too many leagues, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, I'll throw out something that, uh, for me, uh, I said before the season that I'm going to try to stream a little bit more on the hitting side, especially in the NFBC, where you have two times a week replacements for the hitters, and utilize just more volume and really take, hey, who's playing four games, who's playing at Colorado, and I just have not done that. And, you know, time gets in the way, life gets in the way, and the way that I drafted uh, is the way I always drafted, drafted for value, and then you're like, wait, should I actually, I want to keep this guy, and just a reluctance to drop some guys. And let me ask you this question, and uh, I'm saying this as I listen to Jeff Zimmerman talk on the Baseball HQ podcast, very good point he makes, but you know, if I, if I said, would you rather have, who would you rather have for the season? Mike Trout, who play, who play, who gets 300 at-bats only, or if I guarantee you Austin Hayes having 600 at-bats, which would you take? Well, it, it's easily going to be Trout because you can replace those other 300 at-bats, assuming you know when he's injured. Oh, so, or... so no, okay, so now let me amend the question. Assuming that you cannot replace Mike Trout for the other, oh, okay. like you're locked in for the season, you get 300 Mike Trout or you get 600 at-bats of Austin Hayes, what would you take? I'll still take Trout. I would. I wouldn't. I, I would take Austin Hayes because if you accumulate 600 at bats, you accumulate more counting stats in general. Yeah. And for the short term, I think Mike Trout will be great because Mike Trout is Mike Trout, and he'll count. He'll get you those stats. But if he's not playing and he's a a zero or close to a zero for half the season, I'd rather have a twenty dollar Mike Trout for a half. I don't think I'd rather. Have a, I mean, I don't think I'd rather have a $20 Mike Trout value for half a season, and I'd rather have the Austin Hayes who'll give me 18 yeah. or $19, but I don't have to have worry about replacing him because he's got the consistency. Yeah, I'm talking about the, a type of format where you can't replace anybody, and I'm telling you that I'm guaranteeing exactly 300 at-bats for Trout and, and exactly 600 for Hayes. Or how about uh, Seiya Suzuki for 600 at-bats or Mike Trout for 400 or so? Um, you know, you might say, listen, Say Suzuki, that's 200 extra at-bats. Of course I'll take that. Well, now you talk about if you're playing Monday to Thursday in the first half of an NFBC week, if Mike Trout has two games and Austin Hayes has four, who are you going to play? Like, who, who are you going to play? Yeah. I, when you put it that way, then it, it makes it a little more clear. Like, right. two games is not going to do it for you. Right. But, like, when, when you're projecting, right, it's playing time times rates. Austin Hayes getting four games versus Mike Trout getting two, you, you you do that. Now, on your roster, you would not be replacing Mike Trout with an Austin Hayes. That's not the either-or. But what you are mm -hmm. doing is you're getting a fringe waiver guy to replace another fringe waiver guy on your team. So, obviously, if you're getting 50% more at-bats or 100% more at-bats or whatever it is based on getting four games versus three or four games versus two or whatever the differential is, 100%. Volume, 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 volume. So it is so important to do that. And that's just a loss that I personally had because I have not been so in tune to say, wait a minute, who are my pickups? Forget the long-term guys. What about just winning this week? Just using two slots just to get that. So that's one point. Well, on the on the pitching end, you can say the same thing about um, drafting a Jacob DeGrom. You know he's going to get hurt. He always gets hurt. But when he pitches... 
he'll lead the league in strikeouts for those two, three, four week stretches when he pitches healthy. So you can talk about the same thing, which brings me to my loss, which I took some pitchers and I said I wasn't going to do it and I did it anyway. I took some pitchers who started off the year either a little bit dinged up or they weren't sure whether they're going to start the season. And I fell behind in a lot of counting stats and I can't make it up now. And I said I wasn't going to do it, but I did it anyway because unfortunately those guys are actually homers. I'm from New York. I draft, I had shares of, of, of Verlander. I have shares of Scherzer, Severino thinking he'd come back and, and just turn it back on. And those guys, those guys who started off injured or slightly injured and you knew you weren't going to get 100 percent out of them to start with those guys have put me in a, in a deeper hole and there's some leagues when I'm, I'm so far behind in strikeouts that there's no chance of me catching up and i have to change my strategy for the rest of the season because of it so i said i was going to stay away from preseason but you know old habits are hard to break sometimes and he did it anyway any other loss for you uh pierre you know looking at a, a individual player level and i you know in the bigger picture is just maybe holding on a little too long to some of my favorite preseason sleepers that just did not pan out. So, I mean, a guy I was, I was convinced Oscar Gonzalez in Cleveland was just going to be a breakout star. And now he's in the minors. I think he's still there. Uh, you know, just keeping on on in the lineup and just waiting. Cause it's early. He'll break out of it. Just a cold start and then keep him on the bench and then just, clogging up that roster spot, especially in an NFBC league where you really can't afford to just wait. So like I said, waiting a little too long. And um, I still don't know what happened with him particularly. But yeah, um, sometimes the guys we're just absolutely convinced are, are going to be studs just aren't. Like like Jordan Walker, who was sent down and was called up today again. I mean, most I'm, I'm checking all my leagues because he was just called up earlier today. And I'm looking at him like everyone held on to them. So he, he, Jordan Walker was taking up a roster spot for the past two months. And you've gotten maybe a half a month of playing time out of him. And he's taking up a roster spot. And now you have him. You don't even know how he's going to be now. I mean, he was hitting the Mariners, yes, but he, but he was hitting in spring training also. So you never know. So the NFBC is holding some second-chance leagues uh, this week. Uh, hey, if you don't like how your league went or whatever, uh, here's another league. Obviously, they're also trying to make a little bit of money as well as they do, but uh, I think it's a cool idea. How would you draft differently? You know, we talked about our wins and losses so far. What strategy would change for you um, if you were drafting now? Now, it might, be, it might be that, oh, listen, you know, we know that homers go up in June, July, August, because of the summer, so that would devalue homers a little bit, meaning it's a little bit more findable on the waiver wire, so maybe that's one point. But, you know, maybe some of the things we talked about earlier. Pierre, what's, what's something that you would change in terms of second-chance strategy if you were drafting from scratch today? Well, this goes back to Ruben's point earlier. I mean, he nailed it with the pitching, is you know that you're taking some risks with starting pitching early, but now that we know um, who is looking like an ace and who just isn't, um, really prioritizing the guys that you know we feel are definitely going to be solid the rest of the year. I mean, a guy like a Spencer Strider, I, I, I almost think he's got to be a first-round pick, doesn't he? At this point in a second-chance league, um, you know those guys who you feel like can carry you and then you can make up for later in your rotation. But really nailing down the guys uh, who are aces or at least pitching like aces early on, their ADP is going to go way up just because they're now so much more valuable compared to their peers. Um, and then devaluing some of those um, those stats, like stolen bases, like home runs, 
that you now feel a little bit more comfortable knowing who can help you there and who can't. By the way, Spencer Strider is the number three player off the board currently. In uh, There's only been four drafts so far. Oh, there you second go. chance, obviously number first pitcher. So, yeah, there you go right right there. Do, do you worry, though, that he's going to be shut down at some point or at least limited? Or or, or I'd say uh, he maybe they'll skip some starts so that they don't overtax him as he gets to the playoffs. That's my only worry really about Strider. I wouldn't think so. He's, you know, pretty young and this is a team that's pushing for it all. So I don't I don't think so. If this was his first go in the bigs, that might be different. But no. And even so, if he skips a start or two, is that really going to push him down? I mean, I know this is like the argument we just had, right, as far as, as counting stats. But again, uh, which other starting pitcher are you going to put over him? You know, I, I don't see anybody who's really even that close. And then let me also throw out a guy like uh, Kevin Gaussman, who... I, I didn't understand. I was keep saying this in the offseason. Why is he being deprioritized in drafts? This is a guy who's just getting better with age. And I said he should be a Cy Young uh, candidate. And he's, he is. He's pitching like an ace. So uh, just guys like that, you know, just feeling a lot more solid about. Gaussman taken in the first round now. He's the fourth overall starting pitcher other than Shohei Otani, who's obviously both. Um, yeah, I mean, the only the other thing I one strategy thing that I would change is um, you just got to be careful. And you might be right about Strider, but a guy like Tanner Bybee or, you know, some of these rookies, they might get capped. So I don't know that I would prioritize some of those. They could get shut down, especially if they're on bad teams or teams not in the playoffs. So I just look for that, uh, you know, a little bit. Uh, Ruvain, anything to add? Yeah, I think this is the one type of draft that you can use recency bias to your advantage. I think this is, if you're drafting a team now, you have to look at it and say, you know what? I had the preseason stuff. All that stuff can go out the window, especially if you're ranking. Let's in preseason in February. I think Carlos Rodon was the number one or one, number one or two pitcher. All that stuff I think can go out the window. I think you have to treat a second chance draft as if it's the fab waiver wire and just go go like that you can use the last three weeks and see how they're doing you want to get a sleeper look at max scherzer in his last couple starts his era is under 1.5 and he looks like the max scherzer of old you may get be able to get a steal from him later on later on in the draft because people are thinking oh look at that high area look at look what he's done he's been hurt he's he's quite cheating or whatever you want to talk about these there there are hidden gems in there now that that have good track records and you just have to know when to wait and get them because some players will still turn it around. They're, they have a track record, and they will turn around. But some players, you just don't know where you're going to get. Yeah, that's a great point. You, you don't want to put that much attention into year-to-date stats um, because, remember, I, you know, projected rest of season is going to be better than year-to-date. Uh, obviously, you know, it's more important to look at this year's stats than last year's stats. But remember, it's only one component. There is luck. So that's true. I'll throw two more things out there strategies both directed at pitchers number one closers i think that the the paying for closers still has to be high it's especially more now because i think that roles are even more settled now than they were preseason at preseason you didn't know this team gonna go with who is it daniel bard is it pierre johnson and that's a crappy situation but you know you're more sure of players right now and closers there's a lot of situations that are split the team, the teams that use primarily one closer, so much more valuable. So that's one thing to consider. And also, take a look at starters who have a very high innings pitched per start. Um, as you go forward, wins are very fickle. 
But the longer you're in a game, the bigger chance that you have to win. And innings pitched, innings pitched, innings pitched. If you're throwing quality starts, if you if you're laughing into the seventh inning, you have a much bigger chance. Even if you're on a crap your team. And by the way, I, I would also shoot for good teams. You'll get a lot more wins on good teams. So those are two things to look for: good teams and innings pitched to game to uh, game started. Even if they're not the greatest pitcher ERA wise, the boost in in wins. And remember, the counting stats of wins. It's not. You know, it's a lower scale than a lot of other things. Like strikeouts are going to be in the hundreds, thousands, you know, by the end of the year. You're going to get like 100 wins for the year in terms of your team. And if you're doing second chance leagues, we're talking like 60, 70. So every win counts. You want to pounce on every chance that you can. Anything to add, Pierre? Well, one thing I'd I'd like to think might be a a smart strategy and take advantage of some recency bias um, is to maybe – you know, take advantage of depressed ADPs for injured players coming back. But I'm, I'm curious and I ask, you know, for both of you, or, you know, Ariel being one who manages risk and then Ruben, of course, with your injury background, knowing like, how comfortable do you feel taking on like a DeGrom or maybe feeling, you know, Max Fried or Tristan McKenzie pitchers are you, you're not worried at all about, you know, how they perform when healthy. Like these are guys who are absolutely going to be in your rotation. Is this is the risk outweighing the reward for you? I th- I think it depends on your team construct. If if you if you balance your risk out with the proper amount of 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 compilers, then you shouldn't really have that much of an issue having that risk. So if you dra- if you drafted Degrom, then you should also have an innings leader try to draft like a Marcus Stroman who who's giving you a lot of innings. He's not going to be he may not be an ace like he is the rest of the season, but you know what you're going to get out of him also. So if you if you even out the risk, unless you want to take, listen, there's some people who are in the second chance, they want to take all the risks in the world. They think DeGrom's going to come back great, take Max Fried, take all these guys who are going to come back eventually and just hope for it because, you know, sometimes they pan out. I mean, sometimes people win the lottery too. Yeah, I mean, in general, you want to risk-adjust prices. You know, you got to bake the fact that DeGrom could be out for longer into his price. And if you're not taking, if you're not subtracting money that you're spending in draft capital, then then you're not doing it right. And it, the later in the season you are, like a second chance league is only four months instead of six months, there's a bigger chance that the loss of him is more binary, right? It's, oh, what percentage of the season he's out if he's out becomes higher. So you're getting a risk that's more binary in nature. He's back or he's not back versus, well, he's going to miss a percentage of time, right? So because of that, you need to discount even more. That standard deviation of risk is greater. Um, I, th- I think you got to be more risk-averse on that. So, you know, it, it's all a factor. Obviously, I'm going to pick DeGrum over some scrubby pitcher on the waiver wire, but uh, he's going to be lower than what I would perceive as the market. Um, you know, guy like Max Fried, I don't know. You know, he's had some issues this year. You know, again, it's it's another risk target. Pushes him down. You push him down for the innings projection, and you got a discount on top of that for the risk of being binary and not coming back when he's supposed to. So, well, what do you do with a reliever with a reliever situation? Let's say you know or you think a guy's going to be traded because they're on a bad team. Let's say a, a guy who's got a lot of saves who may be traded, like a Kyle Finnegan, or you know, the, everyone who wants to trade for Alexis Diaz. Would you rank them higher than other relievers? Let's say you had a choice of Alexis Diaz at this point. A David Bednar or an Evan Phillips. Which reliever are you going to close? Are you going to get for a closer to, to get saves? 
Oh, well, David Bednar is not going to be traded. Okay, if he's not going to be traded, then he would probably be number one. So let's go between Kyle Finnegan and Evan Phillips, rest of season. Who are you drafting to get the most saves? Oh, I mean, Finnegan will be traded. Um, Finnegan, Finnegan will be will be traded on much higher probability than Phillips, although Phillips may not be the closer anyways. So I guess I would, you know, come up with some probability of Finnegan traded. Let's say it's 70%, 50%, whatever it is. Uh, and, you know, say, listen, maybe Phillips is good for five saves going forward, seven saves. Finnegan is good for saves up until the trade deadline and do the math. And that's that's what it is. Same question to you, Pierre. What about a player like would you would you draft either Carlos Estevez first, or would you draft draft an Alex Lang? Carlos Estevez will probably be traded. Alex Lang maybe not because he's younger. So what do you what, what uh, two players like that? What do you think about that? Uh, I'm going to take the guy who I think is less likely to just wreck my ratios. And so in this case, I will go Phillips over. Um, uh, Finnegan was his first Finnegan and I would definitely go with Lang uh, who's actually pitching really well lately um yeah so I you know saves are so hard and of course the trade deadline never breaks down exactly the way we expect it to so in that case yeah I'll I'll probably lean towards the guy who I feel is just more steady and not going to kill me in the other categories all right let's do some waiver wire picks who's somebody that you'd like to pick up off the waiver wire short term or long term but Pick him up this week. Pierre, go first. Well, I can't quit Royce Lewis, and now he's back. So I'm all in on him. I mean, obviously, former top pick, just can't stay healthy. We know the risk, but we also know potential reward, power, and speed. And now he's just like uh, every other twin who is injured. He's got a chance to start now. Uh, So he's going to be, I think, holding down third base, it looks like, these days. Um, But look, this guy, I think... as long as he's got that shot, he can actually stay on the field. Absolutely worth the upside. So I'm going to probably make him my top priority wherever he's available. Moving. I got a couple of guys. First guy I'm going to mention is a guy filling in now for someone who's injured. Alec Bohm is out, and Cody Clemens is available. Yes, Cody Clemens. He's batting 357 over the last week. He's batting 268 over the last year with four home runs. He's only owned in 2%, 2% of CBS leagues, which means he's eligible. He's out there. Most NFPCs may be available also. He's eligible at first and third. So when your first base, when your third base go down, they have injury. He's a guy you can plug in for the short term. I'm not saying for the long term, but for the short term, he's a guy you can definitely use to plug in holes. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but Gary Sanchez... Um, he's in San Diego. He already has mm-hmm. two home runs. If you have a two-catcher league, there's no reason why you shouldn't be taking a waiver wire on him. There's no reason whatsoever. He's only owned in 3% of CBS leagues. So he's also widely available. And now he's playing out in San Diego. He's not really having any competition out there. Austin Nola, they're even there. I've heard rumors of them sending him down for a bit. So Gary Sanchez may actually have a spot there in San Diego, and that's a pretty decent lineup. And he has two home runs already in the first couple of games he's playing. I also want to mention a reliever. I want to mention Jalen Beeks of Tampa Bay. He's a reliever slash opener. I say that because he got a win this this past three in the past three outings. He has a win and he has a save, and he's been an opener for one of those games. With with Pete Fairbanks being out, Jalen Beeks has been one of the first people called upon to close. Yes, Jason Adam will get the majority of the, of the saves opportunities, but remember it's a Tampa Bay bullpen. Everyone gets a save opportunity out there. And he's got 27 strikeouts and 28 innings. So he's a good guy to have on your on your roster. He's, his ratios aren't 
going to kill you per se because he's been doing better. Don't look at the numbers right now. He's been doing better recently. And I think he's a guy who may get you some some vultures from saves. Yeah. By the way, Gary Sanchez was a designated hitter um, today in uh, San Diego. So they. <laughs> so he's going to get even more bats if they do that. Why Why did the Mets give him up again? <laughs> uh, too, too, too many catchers on the Mets. Uh, and uh, Francisco Alvarez is looking great, by the way. Uh, so good for the Mets. Uh, I'll throw in um, Jose Siri. I have no idea why Jose Siri is still available in 75% of CBS leagues. Oh, I have some idea. He plays on the Rays, so he platoons a little bit. But, you know, he does play defense pretty well, so they're going to peep him on. He has 10 homers and 5 stolen bases. That's like a 25-15 pace. Uh, very valuable. And he missed some time, so it's actually even even more. You know, it's, it's even a bigger pace for that. Uh, and we've mentioned Luke Rally. I mean, he has 10 homers and 7 stolen bases. It's a 25-20 pace. These guys on the Rays are valuable. Uh, I know people don't want to roster these guys well. You got to – you gotta they're going to platoon. But when you're getting that kind of production, even less amounts, it's still worth it to have on the roster. I'll mention two more. Shallow league. Spencer Steer, really hot right now. Um Batting 289 on the year. Uh, if he's available in your 10 team league, uh, worth, uh, sorry, he might, in a 10 team league, he may or may not be available, but in a deeper league, pick him up. He might as well. Uh, and Willie Castro, I picked him up in a couple spots last week. He's batting 274 in the year with uh, four homers and 10 stolen bases. In the month of May, Nine nine stolen bases. He has nine stolen bases this month, batting three nineteen, and he's filling in and he's playing. Um, yeah, the Twins are a good team. I I would pick up Willie Castro where you can. Anybody else, Pierre? Well, I mean, also probably more shallow leagues, but a lot of places. Jake McCarthy was dropped. People probably noticed he's back. Uh, just got that average up to two hundred. But the good news is he has eight steals already in just 28 games. He was injured and then sent down for a while, but he's back. So if you need speed, uh, that might be good. And um, I mean, I think at this point, everyone has probably picked up Bobby Miller, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah. By the way, I didn't mention him as a loss this year, but yeah, Jake McCarthy was a loss. Uh, but maybe he'll turn it around. And by the way, Aro, you mentioned the two Rays. There was a sports radio personality here in New York who insinuated that the Rays were cheating because all these guys he's never heard of, or the guys who haven't had any, you know, idea of doing well, uh, any history of doing well, are all suddenly doing well. So he's he insinuated that they were they were cheating, and there was a, a whole radio fight between uh, people down in Tampa saying that no, what, what are you talking about? If you look into the numbers. All the players who are overachieving on the Rays right now, their launch angle has increased anywhere between 5 to 15 degrees. So instead of hitting the ball on the ground, they're hitting the ball in the air. They're hitting more line drives. So these are these players that are doing well, Yandy Diaz, Luke Rowley, T- uh, Taylor Walls, these guys are not flukes. They change something in the offseason, and they could be long-term keep guys. These are not just for the short term. These guys you can keep for the rest of the year and beyond. Yeah, agree. No, the Rays are doing something, and the Rays know what they're doing. Uh, there you go. Let's do pitcher preview. Pierre, who's a pitcher that you might want to pick up for this coming week or or in the next two weeks? Somebody to pick up short term. All right, so a guy who I think is going to be making two starts and might be a nice sneaky waiver wire pickup coming here is in Detroit, Alex Faido, if I'm saying that right. Um He's somebody, you know, he doesn't really stand out doing anything special, but when he is healthy, when he's on, you know, he can command the strike zone. 
Uh, he's had some good outings. Uh, doesn't walk batters. That's that's the thing I like the best. At least so far, he's been pretty successful with that. Um, got a very low 2% walk rate. Uh, so you look at the season-long numbers and especially the ERA, not great, but he is pitching pretty well. And I think he could be um, somebody who can hold down you know, your rotation if you're looking for a two-star pitcher this week. Yeah, he's... Um... Not holding runners on. He has a very low uh, strand rate, but his BABIP is low. So it's interesting. He's being unlucky on the ERA, but lucky on the whip. Uh, but yes, the, that, that K minus BB is 23% on the year uh, with a swing strike rate of almost 12% to support it. So yeah, I, I, I like that as well. What about you, Ruvain? I have two starting pitchers. If you care to stomach them, when I say their names, you'll probably know why. First one is Johan Oviedo. He's owned in forty-three percent of CBS leagues, but I like his two starts. In the last, in his last three starts, he's one one with a two eight one ERA, and he's got seventeen strikeouts in sixteen innings. But his two starts are versus Oakland and versus the Mets. Both at home. Now, the reason why I, I love the Oakland start, I mean, everyone who plays against Oakland should have a, should be picked up automatically. But playing against the Mets, the Mets don't do well against medium to poor teams. They seem to be doing better against the better teams, which doesn't make any sense. So he's a guy you may actually get two wins out of. Another guy that I never thought I would mention and was on nobody's radar, Julio Terran. If you really want to dig deep, he's only owned in 5% of CBS leagues. He's at Cincinnati, and also second start against Oakland. He's looked decent, even though the number, the the, the peripheral numbers don't really support it that well. He's pitched so far only 11 innings, but he's pitched decently. He's only had five strikeouts. He has a one-on-one record. He's a guy who you may be able to get sneak one win out of because he's playing Oakland. I'll mention three guys. Uh, first, on the Mets, Carlos Carrasco. He looks like he's back. Uh, good outing the other day. He's... Uh, his ERA is 3.57 since he came back from injury. His velocity has ticked up two ticks. Yes, uh, I think he could be trusted now. He's got two start this week. One tough one, not as tough at Atlanta, at Pittsburgh. And then he's versus St. Louis the following week. But uh, I, I think for 12 and deeper, definitely worth a look. How about Ben Lively? He's pitching at St. Louis. Then he's pitching at Kansas City. Guy on the Reds. Luck, luck metrics show he's very lucky, but he does have an excellent 22% K-BB. He's very hot right now. Looks like he picked up some tricks from being over at the KBO uh, in prior years. He's only 25% owned, so he's interesting. Uh, and how about, I thought the Marlins guy would say this, Braxton Garrett. Two start mm. versus Kansas City, and then he's at Chicago White Sox, and next week he's at Washington. Pretty good schedule coming up. K minus BB of 19. He's only 35% owned. His Sierra this year, 3.6, which is better than the 4.22 ERA and 1.31 whip. So he's actually been unlucky a little bit. I like the Marlins uh, for pitchers in general. Um, and he looks promising. So uh, take a look at Braxton Garrett, two start week. I like it, especially in points leagues for that guy. Anybody else, Pierre? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I did think about Garrett. He got a nice schedule. Uh, he's been a little uneven, but remember, this is one of their their higher-end prospects uh, coming into last year. So yes. definitely worth looking into. You know, he's not getting the fanfare of, like, a Yuri Perez, but, you know, obvious reason. He's not that type of pitcher, but he's starting to get a little bit better grip of the, the strike zone, too. And I'll go with a guy a little deeper uh, for my last one here. Tommy Henry in Arizona looked 
great in his last outing, you know, uh, with a shutout over seven innings, but uh, gets Washington in his first start. And it looks like his next start is at Detroit against the first pitcher I mentioned, which is Alex Fido. So definitely nothing scary there on the schedule. Uh, I don't know how much I'm putting into his last start. I'm not saying that this is someone who's going to be necessarily a breakout candidate for the rest of the season, but he's settling down. You know, his first couple starts were bad, but, you know, he's uh, he's getting it together. So somebody in deeper leagues you might want to look at. Diamondbacks are doing well this year. They're 33 and 23 as of the other day. Um, ATC projects that they have over a 45% chance to make the playoffs. They're only a half a game out right now. Uh, I, I would I would take the over on the 45%. I think I would if if you gave me two to uh, you know one to one odds there, I would definitely take that bet for the Diamondbacks making the playoffs. So uh, there you go. Uh, got one mailbag question from Murad. Very general question, so we'll just throw out a couple of names. Hey Ariel, any buy low and sell high hitters and pitchers for redraft? Uh, that's <laughs> thank you for the question, Murad. That is a pretty general question of who are some high, sell, you know, who are some buy low and sell high guys uh, that you have uh, for redraft. That is uh, Pierre. Anybody come to mind? Do you want to uh, buy low on or sell high? Well, I'm going to sell high on on one of my Marlins, and that's Jorge Soler. Uh, you know, everyone had pretty much given up on him, including me, after last year. He just kind of had a, a miserable time, like a lot of the free agents that came over. And now you look at his stat cast, one of the league leaders in barrels and slugging and everything. And, you know, he's looking like he's reviving his glory days. But as I talked about earlier, you know what goes up must come down. Is he going to sustain this level all season long? I don't think so. Uh, you know, at some point... He is going to cool off because this is a guy who is also prone to striking out a lot. And he is actually still striking out at a decent clip this year, 26%. Um, but anyways, I, I think at this point, since he is getting up there in terms of home runs with the league leaders, um, I think that is going to taper off. But also you're going to be left a little bit wanting in like the runs and RBIs because he's on the Marlins. So I think this is a good time to capitalize on his trade value and to sell him away. And then as far as buying, you know, go the opposite. Someone who really hasn't shown a lot of power at all um, is MJ Melendez in Kansas City. Now, he's somebody who we know can hit the ball hard. He is hitting the ball hard. He's just hitting it right at uh, some fielders. And he's only got five home runs. So the average is no good. The strikeout rate is terrible. But I feel like, you know, this is somebody who isn't really... He, he shouldn't be a player who's selling out for power, right? He doesn't need to do that. And I feel like he's kind of uh, pressing a little bit at the plate. You know, this whole Kansas City offense, very young. It's it's coming together, right? The first couple of weeks, this whole Kansas City offense struggled, like all of them. But it's, it's coming together. So I think he's worth taking a shot on, especially because, of course, catcher eligibility, that's very important. So I, I do think that this might be a, a good time to throw out an offer for him because his value is, is pretty much as low as you can get. Moving, a couple guys. Well, first of all, two guys I want to mention for buy low. I mentioned about Max Scherzer already. Th that year, if you're just looking at it on a 
whole, it doesn't look that great, but he's really, really turned it around. Um, and he had a couple of hiccups here and there, but he's been doing much, much better recently. He's on a good team. He's gotten to a rhythm. Remember, he had the he had the suspension where he had a problem. He, he missed a couple starts because of a, of a slight injury as well. So he wasn't 100% Max Scherzer. If you can get him for anything below what you would draft him for, now would be the time because we didn't expect him to make 35 starts. He wasn't going to start 35 times, but now he's in, he's on a roll. It's going to get warmer. He's a, as they call him, quote unquote, bulldog. He's going to give you a lot of innings as well. So if you can buy anything on a discount for him, I think go for him. Another guy who'd buy low on is Andres Jimenez. He's turned it around. He's got a, he's in, his average right now is in the 240s, but recently he's been batting 280, close to 290 for the past couple of weeks. He is slow turning it around. He's figuring it out again. You're not going to get the all-star value you got last year because I think people may have overpaid for him, but you're still going to get a good middle infielder who will get you some stolen bases, get you some runs. He's that The Cleveland team can turn it on. They can turn on the runs very quickly. They're not a power-hitting team, but, they'll, but they go from first to third. They're that type of baseball team. Guys to sell high on, I'm a little nervous about any guy who has an injury history. So I'm a little nervous about a guy like Christian Yelich, if you want to sell high on him. He's got seven homers and, and 12 stolen bases. Is he going to continue that pace toward the rest of the year? A guy who's already getting on the old, he's on the wrong side of 30. He has a history of a back issue. He's a guy I definitely try to sell high on. And same guy uh, you, you mentioned about Jorge Soler. Um, I, I'm not completely sold on him yet because he is a very streaky player, and I'm a little nervous about him as well. So I'll give you a couple guys and a couple of strategy points with them. Um, you know, you mentioned like a, an older guy who might get injured. Well, there's one guy that comes to mind that has been performing well, is almost guaranteed to come out for either injury or taking him out anyways, and that's Clayton Kershaw. If you've got Clayton Kershaw in any redraft league, trade him away now. You've gotten your value out of him. You've used it. You've gotten it. Trade it for a different commodity, whatever it is. He's not getting better than this, and I guarantee you, guarantee you, he will miss a bunch of starts for some injury, whether there's an injury or not. The Dodgers are going to make the playoffs. They're probably going to win the division. The management knows it. They know what Kershaw is. They know, I mean, I don't have to convince you any further. Kershaw is a guy. Uh, even, even a guy like Luis Robert, I think he's going to get injured. Just, just trade him, you know. Uh, how about um, a guy like Isak Paredes? Doing well. And he has multiplayer eligibility. If you're in a league where multiplayer eligibility matters and he's doing well, his trade value will never be as high as now. And that's the time to unload. Or how about a guy like Patrick Wisdom? Um, He's somebody who, um, if you look at year-to-date stats, they look awesome, even though they're probably not going to be as much going forward. So if, if you have... Sometimes when you're making a trade offer and it comes up on your screen as, oh, here's what they've done to date, and they're the X number player, um, that's definitely a type of player to trade. So look and see what player in your league will like to trade for that kind of player. I'm sure there's other examples, and there you go. In terms of buy low, again, it really all depends on on what what your situation is. Like Lance Lynn, first of all, his price has got to be dirt cheap after he bombed the other day. Um, I, I'd buy if, especially not if, okay, not if you're on top, but if you're needing some oomph and you're needing catch up, what do you have to lose? It's a cheap price. There's upside. Uh, I also like a guy like, um, I have a Michael Kopech, you know, same thing, you know, he's risky, but on the upside that he's caught it, that's a guy. Or how about Aaron Nola? 
I know Aaron Nola's better than this. He's done this a lot before. He's had good starts, good you know places. They've got a good lineup behind him. I think you can also gain, similar to what Scherzer, you know, Ruben was saying, buy Scherzer at a discount. I think you can buy Aaron Nola at a discount as well. Injury report, Ruben, go for it. All right, we'll start with, the, I mentioned this guy already earlier, and that's Cedric Mullins. He was placed in the aisle with a right groin strain. It's, it's a grade two strain. The team says they hope Mullins will be out for weeks rather than months. Usually a grade two strain means six to eight weeks. That's typical. So, you know, scour the waiver wire, and the guy who's replacing him right now is Aaron Hicks. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I draft, you know, pick him up, but there are other, other guys out there that you may want to pick up. Another outfielder's on the IL, Jesse Winker, is placed on with a cervical strain. It's, it started off as neck discomfort, but they found a strain. There's no timetable for his return yet. But two guys who are on the mend, Luis Urias and Adam Duval. Luis Urias has been out since April 1st with a hamstring strain. He could return this coming week. And Adam Duval, he's available on the waiver wire, I know a lot of people picked him up already in the last couple of weeks. I saw him on a lot of people's waiver wires, but he could be activated on June 9th. He was on the 60-day IL. That's as soon as he can come back from that wrist fracture. So he's a guy, if he's available, try to get him now. Chris Bryant, he's another guy that always seems to get injured. He has a left heel bruise. Um, it's on the same foot that he had the plantar fasciitis from last year. How will that play into it? I don't know because there's it, it, it a very good chance that it can aggravate the plantar fascia, especially with the heel, because the plantar fascia is actually attached to the heel, so there's a, there's a chance that it could aggravate it, so that's something to watch for. Um, and I did mention also Alec Bohm. He has a left hamstring strain. They're hoping it's, they said it's very mild, but there are a couple guys who are on the on the wave ride they may want to pick up. I mentioned Cody Clements was filling in for him, and Mundo Sosa is available a lot of places. Josh Harrison can see more time as well. And also, someone who's not on the aisle yet, but will probably land on the aisle after this podcast hits, and that's Justin Steele. Justin Steele has a left forearm issue. He was going for. He's supposed to get an MRI today. Um, we haven't heard anything yet, but the the Cubs did not sound too optimistic about it. So you may hear something over the weekend about it. Hayden Wisniewski may actually uh, fill in his spot for a while, so he's probably available in a lot of spots. He's a guy you can pick up. All right. Well, lots a lot of stuff of uh, lots and lots of information and things to talk about this week. Thank you so much, Pierre, for coming on. It is always a pleasure having you. Always great conversation. And definitely check out check out Pierre's channel on YouTube, Fantasy Endgame. Really great stuff. Videos are excellent. Please check that out. Um, Pierre, anything else that I'm uh, missing from you? No, that's it. And uh, always great to talk with you guys. I mean, I feel like we cover so much and go so in-depth for you know just an hour and the time flies. So... Uh, and I always learn something too. That's what I love. You know, you always get great perspective on on things uh, when we have our conversations. So, and you know, I would say that that last injury report makes me sad because that was one player I forgot to mention. My wins. I feel Justin Steele was a win because I was all over him in the preseason. And of course, now there goes that. So I think my TGFBI team is is kind of feeling like that Titanic right now. But hopefully, so I'll hold on. I was also I was also high on him. I I wanted him. I ended up not getting because a little too overvalued for me. But he was a guy that I had last year, and he had he just carried me with strikeouts last year. So I really liked him coming mm-hmm. into this year. Would you consider Jeffrey Springs and Drew Rasmussen to be wins? Because I had pretty much either one on every single roster. Like I was playing in that in that price range. You had Pablo Lopez, Rasmussen, Springs, all about the same price. Do you consider those two wins or do you consider those two losses? Um, well, 
it depends where you drafted them, but based on where you probably got them, I'd say it's a it's a good win for what two weeks. I think I think you take your wins where you can get them. You know, obviously, it's the type of player. I we were right, I was right on the player, and and so the right. process was correct. But right. you had the injury, and maybe we should have known that. Oh, now they're doing the you know it, maybe they have a different windup, different mechanic. Maybe I should have known that. But from my perspective, if we think that it's luck. I think I consider it a win because it was the right player and they got injured. A lot of people get injured, you know. Um, I don't mm. know, but you you can consider it a loss because obviously by the end of the year, the value will be far in the negative. You know, we take the wins where we can get them. The process was right. I, I would count that as a win. All right. <laughs> Thumbs up there. All right, Ruben, what about you? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out all these injury updates and much more. You can also catch my weekly article on Rotoballer. It comes out every weekend to help you with the injury updates with all the players I mentioned, as well as others, next man up, and everything like that. All right. I'm Ariel Cohen. I write for Fangraphs for Rotoballer, and uh, we're on the Beat the Shift podcast, and my Twitter handle is ATCNY. All right. Great stuff today. We'll be back next week. Once again, thank you so much, Pierre Camus, for coming on the show. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at Beat underscore shift underscore pod.